Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma. Welcome to another edition of Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. I'm Neil McCready. I'm in the Ford Studios today. And today with us is uh, Martin Palomo, as always, of Pinnacle Trust and the CEO of Pinnacle Trust, Mr. Stacey Wall. We will get to uh, those guys in a minute and I'll let them tell you uh, why now would be a really good time to... Uh, to give them a call and talk to them about your uh, finances, your investments, that kind of thing. First, let me tell you quickly about Clark Ford. It's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900. The number simple as this. Call them, get a quote. If you're in the market for a vehicle, you think you're going to be in the market for a vehicle, even if it's not a Ford necessarily, get a quote. Corey's going to give you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's going to be right to the bottom line. As he says, no hassle, no haggle. Uh, he's going to give you a quote, and at the very least, that's going to let you move forward or uh, decide how you want to move forward in your uh, automotive purchase and make sure that you don't get taken advantage of out there by another dealer. And you might just find that the quote gets you pretty interested in getting one from Clark Ford. And if you do, take it from someone who has vehicles from Clark Ford. You will love the service after the sale. You'll love the product. Corey wants to be your car guy. He wants to be your truck guy, and he'll prove that to you. When you make that call, 662-257-1900. Martin, Stacy, before we get started talking about all of the many things that there are to talk about today, uh, tell the people about Pinnacle Trust and how they can get in touch with you. Awesome. Appreciate you, Neil. Excited to have Stacy on today. We do have a, a pretty serious topic to talk about. Um, you know, it's kind of been funny, the the reaction to a lot of what's happening in the markets. Um you know, has really got a lot of people in a panic. Um, and we're seeing that day in and day out as, um, you know, as markets kind of melt down and, um, you know, and things like the VIX, which is really a fear indicator, keep going higher and higher. It's measuring how panicked people really are, uh, you know, right now. And there's a couple of things going on and we'll talk about in the show. But, you know, one of the things that we think we really do a good job of uh, with our clients is, is managing those expectations, helping folks, you know, uh, not helping them away from the edge of the cliff, helping them not do the things that's going to cause them permanent injury, or at least if not permanent, uh, sustained injury, you know, in their portfolios. And, you know, we've been doing it for more than 20 years. You know, Stacy started us back in 97, uh, with a, with an idea, a different idea of how to manage money, um, for the individual investors. And, you know, and we're still doing it today. Uh, one of the things that, that I think that has really been a feather in our cap is um, the way that we construct folks' investment portfolios. So right now, and this is going to sound kind of crazy, but right now is the time we are really shining. Um, our client portfolios have some strategies in them that are kind of like insurance if your house is on fire, except for we buy the insurance before the house catches on fire. And that insurance is really paying off right now. <clears throat> um, you know, and if folks are out there listening and they're looking at their portfolios and it's bleeding all over the place and, you know, they're feeling sick to their stomach, give us a call. Um, 601-957-0323. Let us just have an opportunity to sit down with folks and talk about, you know, how we would construct, how things would look different uh, and take some of the fear away from them about, um, you know, managing their money or, you know, where, where, where we really tend to do, do well in times like this is the folks who, you know, may have left us or may have left other advisors a couple of years ago because investing on your own is really, really easy, um, which it is when markets are going straight up. And now you're kind of looking at your portfolio and going, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing, which is most everyone who's not a professional investor. Um, you know, give us an opportunity to sit down with you and, and give you an evaluation and, and talk about, you know, how things could look. We're, we're also very, very active on social media. 
So, uh, you know, if you want to reach out to us on our Facebook page, um, it's Pinnacle. You can search Pinnacle Trust Facebook or you can search Mind on My Money in Facebook. Um, connect with us there. Uh, email us uh, info at PINNTrust.com. Or again, if you like the old fashioned telephone and, and want to give us a buzz and talk and come in and see us, uh, that number again is 601 957 0323. So a lot going on today. I'm sitting here uh, over the course of the last hour or so. We taped the Oxford Exxon podcast earlier. Had a little uh, break while we processed that before I called you guys. And there was a story in the Atlantic about uh, it just basically said cancel everything. And uh, just a few minutes ago before we got started, I pulled up a story written by uh, Ethan Strauss, an NBA writer that I like a lot. He covers the Golden State Warriors. He had talked to an epidemiologist out in California and basically asked the question, is it wise for the Warriors and the Clippers and the Lakers and all the other NBA teams to be hosting games in front of arenas with 20,000 people? And the epidemiologist said, no, absolutely not. That's how you spread this disease and that's how you spread this virus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We were talking on the Oxford Exxon podcast earlier, guys, about how – and we always play this game, you know, gun to your head or the gods come down and they ask you a question, what's your answer? I'm, I'm of the opinion that this thing, if, if it doesn't slow down in the next couple of weeks, and when I say this thing, I'm talking about the panic itself. If the panic doesn't slow down in the next couple of weeks, I think you're going to see arenas closed, leagues shut down, schools shut down, universities shut down, et cetera, et cetera. Here's my question to both of you as we get started. If that happens, this sort of a worst-case shutdown scenario happens, what does that mean, in your opinions, for the markets? Uh, Neil, thanks for having me. Martin, appreciate you guys having me on. Um, it's not going to be good, Neil. Um, and, and I'm with you. And and I've gone both sides of the spectrum over the last couple of weeks, right? Because in, in the three of us have talked about it off air. You can paint a really scary panic scenario where they're closing nursery schools, daycares, and people can't go to work and, and arena shutting down and the Olympics being canceled. And I mean, you can really go down a dark path, but after really spending a lot of time looking at both sides and obviously i don't want to downplay well people getting ill and the and the potential for people dying but but the reality seems to be if you're if you're elderly or you have pre-existing conditions then you need to use common sense and be cautious and and so maybe those people don't need to be going to the next game um but if you're a 35-year-old or a 25-year-old, and, and I, I have boys that are 26 and 36, and I've talked to them extensively about it, and one lives in New York and one lives in Seattle, two of the biggest <laughs> the places. Yeah. And, and they're like, they're not like looking to get the virus, but they're, they're using a little bit of caution. Like I called my son in New York this morning just to get his pulse. I said, I'm about to be on a podcast. What's, what's different up there? So he lives in New Jersey. He said, I'm, I'm avoiding the city. Uh, I'm not going into the city and people are not handshaking. People are fist bumping or elbow bumping. Um, he said, you see a few people with masks, but it's pretty much, just business as usual with just a little bit of extra caution. I said, are you, you going to restaurants and stuff? And he said, oh, yeah, that it's all people are talking about it, but they're not at a panic stage. Um, we, we've obviously seen panic selling in the market. Right. And, um, and, and, and that's the scary part. Let me give you one piece of data that I pulled up this morning because you can't benefit – from a recovery if you sell and every decline in the stock market has always been followed by a more dramatic recovery so so there's a company called morningstar and they're a, a firm that analyzes investing data and they looked at 20 years of market activity leading up to 2017 so that's a period that included the 2000 dot bomb 
dot-com bubble and the 2008 and 2009 global economic yeah. crash. And they found that someone who kept their investments during those years would have seen an average annual return of 7.2% per year. But an investor who missed only the 10 best days over those 20 years saw their return drop to less than half that, just 3.5%. Right. And usually, too, Stacy, and you know this, but our listeners may not, those biggest 10 days generally come, you know, at the bottoms or or at times when people are, um, are, are out of the markets. That's when the institutions really step in and say, Hey, we think we found bottom. We have confidence and, and that, you know, that this has been oversold and institutions will be the first ones stepping in to buy. Well, if you miss out on that and, and those statistics are, are pretty grim, you missed the, only the 10 best days, your return is half. You miss out on that, then it's hard. It is hard to recover. And when you time markets, um, and you get out, you have to be right twice. You have to be right when you exit, and then you have to be right when you get back in. And and that's a really hard thing to do. And I kind of, I'm going to steal Neil's, Neil's word. I flippantly talk about that to people saying, you know, if you think that you know when to get out and when to get in, I'm leaving Pinnacle and I'm you and I are going to build a business and I'm going to manage my own money. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to manage my own money and I'll manage some really rich people's money and we're going to become billionaires Exactly. because if we can figure out exactly when to sell and then exactly when to buy. And I know that makes, I think a lot of clients think that that's what we do every day is we trade, we trade the tops and we trade, you know, the bottoms. But the truth of the matter is, is, is that we do look at, at, at economic data that's giving us facts and we make decisions for our clients based on facts rather than emotions. And it's still hard for us, you know, even in times like these to say, you know, don't be emotional, don't be emotional. Look at the facts. You know, the facts are not giving us, you know, any screaming things other than, you know, yesterday was, and that as we're taping on Tuesday, yesterday was Monday, you know, with, with the markets being down and we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later too, with oil, prices going, um, you know, going lower, we can actually talk about the real effects, you know, in the economy, if oil did like it did back in 2015, I think it was 2015, when oil went from like 100 plus dollars a barrel down to to 29, that that can have an impact. And we'll talk about why a little bit later. So, Neil, um, so to answer your question, if if the panic continues, it's going to be horrific for the financial markets, and it's going to be really, really bad for the economy. Let me ask you something, because you are part of the media. Uh, I'd like you to comment on the media's role in this first part of the question, and two, how much, if any, of the media's handling of this is politically motivated? Well, first of all, to answer that question, it takes some nuance because the meat when you say the media, it's like anything else. If I were to say the financial experts, there's there's you know there's lots of different financial experts who have different opinions and different agendas and different political views and all of that, and that right. that applies to the media as well. But if you were to talk about the media as a collective, and look, I'm not particularly popular in media because I, I am not anywhere near as liberal as your average media person um i'm i'm to the right of center politically um i'm probably right around dead center socially and uh that puts me far to the right of your average media person does that make sense it does absolutely so but to answer your question as a collective and again with the with the caveat that this does not apply to every member of the media because that there's no way that you could paint with that broad of a brush and get it, yeah, and get it right. Statement. Yeah, we get that. Uh, they are, it's two things. First and foremost, it is clicks. It is, uh, it is viewership. CNN is on this nonstop. Why? Because eyeballs are on it. All of their analytics are showing them, Hey, stay here. Let's, let's, let's stay here. Uh, 
I have a theory that as people become more and more reliant on social media, they become less and less able to think on their own and to think for themselves and to think logically. Um, not young people, all people. And it, uh, it, that, that, that hysteria is fed from that as well. And I do think a lot of this coverage is hysterical. Um, I tweeted this yesterday. And we talked about this a little bit. Uh, Dr. Drew, uh, most people out there know who Dr. Drew is, uh, kind of known for being, you know, frank, honest, calm, rational. You know, is is this is this situation worth uh, paying attention to? Absolutely. Is it worth taking the extra measures to uh, to to wash your hands, to disinfect things, to uh, to be careful about what you touch, to keep your hands out of your face? Uh, to to be careful about who the people you're around, all of those things, absolutely. I mean, it's real, no question about it. But the panic is irresponsible, and the panic is absolutely being fueled by the media. And it's being fueled by the media for the two reasons that one I just mentioned, and the other, and I don't think there's any way around this, the media as a, as a whole, the collective media, is engaged in an absolute war with the President of the United States. And, and it's a two-way war. Some of his tweets about the media have been irresponsible. They've been inflammatory. They've been nasty. They've been provocative. Uh, and it's gone both ways. And the national media as a collective wants to beat him. And they see the path to beating him. Um, frankly, I, I believe this. This is my opinion. Trump's biggest calling card going into this election year was, "Hey, look at the economy, people. Look at your yep. look yep. at your four hundred one k. You might not like me. You might not like my tweets. Your four hundred one k likes me. Your job likes me. Job growth, unemployment, all of those things. All of the numbers were skewing in favor of him. And typically, when Americans go to the ballot box, they vote with their pocketbook." Almost always. And yep. presidents who run for re-election during strong economic times get re-elected. Even when they're not super popular. And if you look at a lot of Trump's popularity numbers, they're not all that different than, than Bill Clinton's war in, in year four, than Barack Obama's, George W. Bush, all presidents who were re-elected. Because if the economy's good, not going to mess with it. Uh, George H.W. Bush lost because he kind of had some tax stuff. He said no, no, famously no new taxes, and then he raised taxes, and people were unhappy with him, and Ross Perot ran, and that kind of screwed up some of the dynamics and, and all that. Anyway, there's, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that the media, many consciously and sub, some subconsciously, are using the coronavirus panic as a political football in their game against the president. No doubt. Yeah, and there was there was something that you said, Neil, that I'm severely like unmedicated adult ADD and uh I think our listeners have probably picked up on that listening, but you you were talking about, you know, 401k's and and whatnot in your conversation and I just had this whole thing play out in my head that was because we were talking, you know, as we were talking about the coronavirus and be responsible and wash your hands. And they're saying, you know, try to avoid touching your face if you can. Um, I was like, man, people need to treat their 401k like they're treating their face right now. Don't touch it. Don't change it. Don't do anything because it is all based in fear and, you know, and, and, and not getting super political about it either. But I think that you're spot on. Um, you know, the opportunity for Trump's opponents to take him down is present because he has run and, you know, beat on his chest and pumped his chest up about, you know, how well the economy is, you know, is do, has been has been doing under his leadership. And, um, you know, the one thing that really makes me uncomfortable. Well, there's a couple of things that make me uncomfortable with Trump, Trump. But one of the big things that makes me uncomfortable is just the way that he smashes people, you know, in public, in the media. Like I know that he has a vendetta against our chairman of the fed, Jerome Powell. And I think that there's ways to do that, but just the way that he goes about it really just makes my stomach churn because like right now, 
is a time when we all need to be you know working together america is the greatest country for ingenuity and figuring things out and i would i would think that right now is a time when we you know should be all kind of banding together and trying to figure this thing out and i did read an article side note add that there are a couple of guys and when i say guys they could be guys or girls um, at university of tennessee who have used a supercomputer and think that they have a compound that can you know, work against slowing or treating this strand of, of the coronavirus. And, um, and they're, you know, they are trying to get it through USDA and, and all the FDA, um, approval stuff. So that's actually could be good news, but that's, that's America working together. And that's really what we need right now is America working together. But I just think it's going to be impossible, or I feel like it's going to be impossible for being election year, the left having the opportunity to smash Trump on, you know, if the economy does end up, uh, you know, going uh, south, you know, due to a couple of different things happening at one time. One, the fears of the coronavirus, people not getting out, people not, you know, doing what they do on a regular basis. And then two, um, you know, if we have a big disruption in the energy sector uh, and there are jobs that are lost in the energy sector, that that's a huge impact for the South and our and our industry and our part of the world because a lot of our a lot of our workers a lot of our citizens in the South are are employed by energy and then a lot of a lot of investments in what's called high yield debt or junk bonds quote unquote it comes from the energy sector so there could be some chaos there we'll see how that all that all shakes out as well and we can kind of get into the nitty gritty but that was. I think that was really the bigger um, driver of uh, of markets tumbling on Monday, uh, as far as they did, was a little bit of concern that we were going to have some some big uh, some big losses in the energy sector, you know, in the U.S. So what happened with the? Let's talk about what happened with the market as we take this on Tuesday. What happened with the market earlier in the week? Where you all see the market sort of going here in the next just few days? I mean, we'll, we'll reconvene and we'll tape another one of these shows a week from now. I know you're, you, neither one of you are, uh, you know, you study these things for a living. You, know, you don't have, have the ball. You have an idea where they're going, but in this case, it's it's we're in sort of uncharted territory. I, I know Why? there was there was more to what happened on Monday than just the coronavirus. There was the uh, the oil dispute yep. between Saudi Arabia and Russia, which uh, brought, you know, w- was volatile for the oil markets. And then there was all the stuff with the coronavirus sort of take us through what happened. And then, uh, for those of us that really were not aware, I, I was not aware that there was the, the mandatory 15 minute stoppages when at, at 7% at, I think it's at 13% at 20%. What, where do you sort of, what happened and where do you sort of see this going here in the next few days? Yeah, the, the, <clears throat> The delay of trading worked, and if you were watching, I don't know, but I, I had the TV on and I was watching, and and the market was tanking. And even though you're a professional and you've been through this before, um, and you know not to panic, it still doesn't mean that your stomach doesn't get sick when you see the market tanking like that. But when it hit, I think. It was down more than eighteen, nineteen hundred points, or something like that. Yeah, the market opened down about eighteen hundred points um, when it hit that seven percent. Yep, it just halts trading. It halts a pause. trading for fifteen minutes, and the way I understand it, it's just kind of for everybody to catch their breath and relook at things. And it it did calm the markets down. Yeah, and it gives, and it also gives, um, like the New York Stock Exchange time to try to match buyers and sellers and uh and and you know keep the precipitous fall from from continuing and then you saw a bounce back up and then it bounced back down and it back up and it bounced back down and you know ultimately ended down you know over 2000 points which was a first the dow was over 2000 points which was a first to ever happen um you know from a number of points wise uh and you know and the decline was the largest single day decline we've had since um, since the finan- the Great Recession and the financial crisis. So we've 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 had worse before in, in regards to percentage, but the things that kind of made it all happen. Let's let's kind of talk about it. 
a little bit because some people, I think like the normal everyday person, you know, kind of looks at, listens to what was said and they're like, okay, it was, you know, the coronavirus fears continue, which they do. And then also, you know, there was this dispute between Russia and Saudi Arabia and oil and that, you know, caused all of this to happen. And I think the average person might sit there and scratch their head a little bit and go, what does Russia and Saudi Arabia have to do with U.S. stocks and oil. Why does that matter? Why does any of that matter? Well, so the, the deal between Russia and Saudi Arabia, Arabia has nothing to do with the U.S. That's between them. You know, Russia wanted to decrease the supply of oil into the markets so that the cost of oil could could rise. And, you know, there, Russia, believe it or not, is a massive natural resource country. Uh, and they do have a lot of oil. And, you know, and their economy is, you know, is very, uh, not dependent, but, um, a large part of their economy is, is, is energy just like, you know, just like the U S well, Saudi Arabia kind of gave Russia the middle finger and said, <laughs> hold my beer, watch it, hold my Corona. Uh, While I open the spigots. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, and they were like, no, we're going to increase supply so it has an opposite effect they increase the amount of oil in the market well then the price is gonna is gonna drop and you know and some people are saying well there's not as much demand for oil in the u.s as as there has been in the past or globally as there has been in the past because you know all of this coronavirus well that may be true temporarily but that's not going to be a long-term trend so how does that affect us here in the U.S.? Well, so the energy industry in the U.S. So globally, oil prices are are denominated in dollars and they're set globally. So you know we don't charge a different price per barrel in the U.S. than they do in you know Saudi Arabia or Russia. That's it's kind of it's set globally and it's denominated in U.S. dollars. So the deal is is oil that is already out of the ground in the US costs a certain amount of dollars to produce and as the price of oil jumped off of a cliff you know the they're going to be selling the oil that they pulled out of the ground at today's prices well the price that it costs to get it out of the ground was something that happened yesterday or last week or last month so uh you know and the labor and materials and everything that exists with the industry of getting oil out of the ground, refining it, and then getting it to its final destination, whether it's gasoline, whether it's jet fuel, whether it's, you know, motor oil for vehicles, plastics, all of the different things that are created from petroleum, um, you know, are, there's a, there's a price of production. And Isn't that, didn't I read somewhere that the average price for production in Russia was about $54 a barrel? Um, I didn't, I don't know. That's a good question. And I don't know the answer to that, but if, if you said that you read it somewhere, I trust that, yeah, if <laughs> that it's, you're right. It's probably the internet. So it has to be true. Right? It's, yeah. Everything on the internet yes. is true, especially Facebook. Um, you know, and the cost to, to produce it in Saudi Arabia is significantly less than, you know, than in the rest of the world too. But the cost of producing the U S is, is relatively high. That's why fracking became such a huge uh, industry for us too, just not having to go get it in deep ocean drilling um, because it was less expensive to gather it, you know, fracking. Uh, the other deal is um, energy is one of our largest sectors in the U.S. and it employs, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of workers. And the cost of getting oil out of the ground has is exceeding what the price per barrel is. So when, let's just talk basic business stuff. If it costs you more to make it than it does to sell it, then you're going to get from selling it. You got a problem, right? You can't a product if it, you'll go bankrupt really fast. So, you know, like the big companies like your Exxon Mobiles, your Shells, your you know your your Marathons, your really large companies, they're not the ones that are you know in risk of going out of business. It's going to hurt bottom lines for them. But the real risk are a lot of the the smaller periphery um, firms that, you know, get all of the guys to, you know, to and from rigs or 
um, whether it's a land rig or an oil rig that provides services to the oil industry. And a lot of those companies um, are small, but they're very highly levered. So they carry a lot of debt on their corporate balance sheets. And they a lot of them haven't really recovered from the last drop that we had in oil, which was like, I think it was 2015. My brain may be playing tricks on me. I probably should have fact checked that before I just spit it out of my mouth. Um, but a lot of them are, are haven't, haven't even fully recovered from that shock in the energy industry. And then if it happens again, they're just going to end up laying off workers. Well, a lot of those jobs are very high paying jobs that are occupied by, you know, uh, folks from the South and the Southeast. So it really impacts our local economy, you know, in the Southeast. So let's just say, you know, New Mexico, Texas, all the way over to Alabama, Georgia is, and, you know, and up to the Oklahoma, Kansas area, a lot of, a lot of workers come from those parts of the countries and they are laborers that are, you know, uh, trades got trade guys that, you know, if they can't work on the rig, you know, they can go get another job at home doing something else, but won't make near the amount of money. And truth be told, the economy loves rig workers because those guys spend <laughs> almost every penny that they make. Uh, they have the big fancy trucks and, uh, and they spend a lot of their cash. So anyway, I kind of went on this long, you know, monologue of how the impact is, but it, it can have, if it's not fixed, if it's not remedied, it can have a very big impact into our economy and it'll have an impact on markets as well. And, and, Ed, to answer your question, what do you, what do we think the markets are going to do over the next few days and, and weeks? We don't know. Do you subscribe? I, I, other than it, 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 I think it'll continue to be volatile. Yeah, there'll be a lot of fluctuation. So I know a kind of a common market axiom is that the, the first cut is the deepest. Do you subscribe to that in this case, too, that what we saw on Monday will probably be that will be the deepest cut? I mean, can it is it realistic that we could see another round of cuts that deep? I, I think it's you realistic. Mean, you mean the market? Yeah. Like the yeah. market drawing down? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it could go lower. Um, if 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 you have any kind of appetite for risk, I think putting some cash to work yep. in the stock market now is a good time. Now, I don't know that this is the bottom, or yesterday was the bottom. Yeah, but that would, would be super ironic too, because yesterday was March 9th, which the Great Recession of 2008 ended on March 9th, 2009. <laughs> that was the bottom, but we didn't know it for, you know, for three, four weeks. Yeah. Afterwards. But I personally, I made some shifts in my 401k yesterday just to get a little more stock exposure. Right. And I didn't load the boat. But I can tell you, if we have another round where the market panics, I'll do it again. I, 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 you know, it will be higher someday. Yeah. And if you're a long-term investor and, you know, and you're not trying to retire at the end of this year or next year, um, you know, I think that you can take some nibbles at, you know, if you've got cash or you've got bonds in the portfolio, you can rotate some of those cash and bonds into stocks and I would just nibble at it. You know, I wouldn't go drop a hundred percent of, you know, your portfolio in the stocks. Cause that's definitely, that's not prudent either. And it all really depends on, cause you have to be able to stand the ride. And, you know, one of the beauties of working with people like us is the roller coaster is the same roller coaster for everyone. You know, we're all on the same ride. The difference is if you're doing it yourself, you know, you're having to keep your rear end in the seat, which is really, really hard when it's going down. And when you, when you hire us to be your advisor, our whole job is you, you buy two seats to the roller coaster ride. You buy your seat and you buy ours. And our job is to keep your butt in the seat planted and not doing anything stupid, like jumping off of a roller coaster while it's going downhill. And, and, and having a plan and being able to stick to it. So let me just give an example, and this is hypothetical, but it's common for for our clients. Let's say you're, you're 65 years old and you just retired and we went through your cash flow analysis and we've determined uh, the number one thing for most people when they retire is tell me that I have enough 
where my spouse and I can do everything we want to do during our retirement years without worrying or having to be dependent on the financial markets because I do not want my children to have to take care of us. And you can, you can pretty accurately predict that through proper planning. And a lot of our clients are pretty conservatively invested if they have enough money because then it becomes, okay, is your objective to leave your children as much money as you possibly can? If it is, it may be a reason to be a little more aggressive, but for most people, it's not. Most people are, look, whatever the kids get, they're going to get. I want to make sure my spouse and I have enough for the rest of our lives. And a lot of times you back into it and it dictates a more conservative strategy. Sure. So so if, if a client calls and goes, I want to put more money in stocks, we would probably say, let's come in let's and talk. And, talk yeah. and let's look at your plan and, and why do you want to do that? Yep. Are you just trying to kind of have some fun? Feel like you're making a little extra money, or or what's your motive? You want the kids to have more money when when they're gone. So having a plan and talking through all that's really important. I'll tell you guys this: uh, as I'm listening to you, and I, I saw this break on my, my Twitter blew up as we were uh, as, as you all were talking. Uh, I, I was asked today, you know, what what do you think? Do you think uh, I, I work in the world of sports, obviously, and and so. You know, they, they said, do you think the NBA season is going to go go on without disruption? And I said, no. They said, do you think the Major League Baseball season is going to occur without disruption? And I said, no. I, I just don't. I, I anticipate, in fact, that there's, there's going to be a, a level of panic that happens here in the next two weeks. The Ivy League just announced that they canceled their, uh, their postseason tournament. It was due to start here in the next couple of days. Uh, you know, this is Selection Sunday is, is Sunday, so all the, the conferences are playing there. Conference tournaments now, uh, the SEC tournament starts on Wednesday. Most of the big ones start today, Wednesday. I, I don't think this will be the last cancellation. That's my prediction. I think the uh, the Ivy League goes and, and someone else will come in and go, you know what, let's cancel ours too. And um, I, I know it's just sports, and that's that's nowhere near as as, uh, as big on the market as, as you know, fuel and, and, and other things, but – I just kind of see where I think this thing is headed. I, 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 to, to back up what you all just said, I, if if the sports world is any indication, the, the panic's taking over. Right, and and let me ask you this, Neil. So, then I guess this is more of a capitalistic or free market view. Where do you draw the line between saying, okay, the the Cubs? We're going to, for the next foreseeable future, we're going to play to an empty stadium. To saying, you're an adult. You make the, nobody's putting a gun to your head and saying, just because you have season tickets to the Cubs game, you're going. So you make the decision yourself. If you're 70 years old and you've got high blood pressure, probably a good idea to stay at home. Yeah. But if you're a 25 year old, I'm telling you, a, a lot of these young people, um, and, and I think it's good. They're not panicking. They're going, yeah, wash your hands. Don't shake hands with a lot of people. But if I get it, it's like getting the flu. And I've had the flu before. And, and so I'm not going out and looking for it, but I'm not panicking either. Well, I, mean, yeah. I, I think I think that's prudent, but I, I think what's happening is that the uh, what I believe is about to happen based on just things that I'm reading, and, and I hope I'm wrong. I've been wrong a couple of times in life. Um, when was the last time? Was it nine? It was 2003 or something. Yeah, maybe. I can't remember whether I was actually wrong then. I think it was somebody else. They just blame. thought you were wrong. Yeah, it was like 98. Yeah. I missed something. Uh, no, but I, I mean, I, I think, I mean, if, if I'm right and, and, you know, the NBA and the NHL and, you know, they start saying, hey, we're going to play these games without crowds. All of a sudden, you're taking the option for people to go to games and, and go to events and live their life. You start taking that away. Where do, where do the closures stop? It's one of the things I talked about. This morning on on a Tuesday morning on the Oxford Exxon podcast, which was so if I, I'll use an example, my daughter is coming home from they were at uh, nationals. She's in dance. She's a high school junior, 
and her uh, her team qualified for nationals and they were in orlando at nationals this weekend and uh they were at disney uh yesterday and so what if the news comes out that someone at disney world on tuesday had the virus had not yet been diagnosed now they're diagnosed and they rode the following rides you know splash mountain and thunder mountain and the teacups or went to epcot or i don't know fill in the blanks so she says well gosh i rode that roller coaster too and so even though she's not symptomatic she has to be in two weeks of of uh like a self-quarantine a self-quarantine so let's say Mm -hmm. that she comes home and she's around us for four days before the news breaks that someone was at disney and so now she's been around us so we've been exposed so we're self-quarantined. Campbell's coming home from the University of Arkansas this weekend. She can't go back. She's self-quarantined. Laura works at, at a bank here in town. She can't go to work, but she went to work during that. And you guys see where I'm going? If, if, yeah. if we don't apply some common sense here soon, this is my, my opinion, and I'm not an epidemiologist. I, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but I, I, I do think I have a pretty firm grasp on common sense. If we don't apply some common sense soon, just the the five degrees, you know, game. We're, we're going to shut everything down. We're, we're going to we're going to kill businesses. We're going to kill the economy. We're going to kill all of this stuff over more over fear and panic than rational thought. Because listen, I I said this the other day, and I may have said it to you guys. If all of a sudden, and I won't use your sons as example, Stacy, because I don't want to be morbid. But if people like that healthy young adults in their 30s and 20s if those kind of people start dropping dead hey hey panic drop that, everything that's a whole different story yeah cancel yeah, cancel everything let's shut this thing down and apply every bit of energy we have as a nation as a globe to stopping it obviously yeah. right well and i think that's kind of what what with what needs what's happening with some right now anyway at least in the science community is they're trying to figure out globally all working together and you know one of the things where the so the government response to this initially was a total flop you know and i don't know if that's a little bit of trump's arrogance you know like you know downplaying everything and, remember, and I know my predi- remember my prediction we, from uh, last week i've already forgotten Mike Pence is going to get blamed for this. Oh, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, no, wow. yep. But so let's, you know, and and Trump, Trump did totally fail in his initial response to to everything, um, to to the virus, and and I don't disagree with him that you know the that the monetary policy cuts, you know, the rate cuts from the Fed were not effective. I don't disagree with, with that. They were not effective. And then the way that the Fed handled that was also a little bit of a flop. You know, some of the things that they're talking about now is, you know, actually giving stimulus to um, to businesses, to folks, and it might come in the form of payroll tax cuts. It may come in the form of tax holidays, um, you know, so that you're putting dollars in the pockets of folks. If come in the form of people who are hourly workers, if they miss work to give them some type of uh, a financial cushion, because, you know, I know then, then how many people are going to go, Oh, I've got the coronavirus. I'm going to hang out at home. Sure. And pay. I mean, I don't know that we could be petty about that and say, I guess I think you'd spend tons of resources trying to figure out whether it was, or, I don't know. I'm not, I'm glad I don't have that job, but I mean, I do think that, you know, if, if folks who are hourly workers or part-time workers, especially like, let's say you're a single mom, right? A divorced mom, you got two kids at home and you work two jobs to try to support yourself and, and you get sick and you don't have sick leave or payday or sick pay or anything like that. I mean, I'm, I know when I was a single dad with two kids, if I was coughing or sneezing, I still went to work because I couldn't afford to miss work. I think that's where we really have some, you know, some big, um, opportunities for a lot of harm to financial harm to Americans and American economy. If something like that does happen and, and hopefully, and I believe this, the private sector will, will come to the rescue for a lot of people in those situations. But Neil, let me ask you this. Um, Caroline 
and Laura, did they did they notice? I mean, were the crowds thin uh, in Orlando? Number one, and number two, if you were Trump or Pence or the coronavirus czar, and and that scenario happened, so Caroline comes home, and then you find out four days later that somebody has the virus that rode the same ride that she did. What do you do? I'm not doing that. I'm not shutting it down. I'm doing everything in my power to not shut it down. To answer your question, it was the first time she'd been there since she was a little girl. And I don't know that, I don't even know that she could make those comparisons. I talked to somebody else uh, who, who was there yesterday who said actually it was very crowded, that it was just packed. It was as crowded as usual. Caroline would, would have no, nothing to compare Type it to. Of reference, yeah. Uh, yeah, point of reference. That's what I was looking for. Uh, but if I'm if I'm the czar, and again, I'm not qualified to be the czar. I, I don't know enough about epidemiology. I don't know enough about the real numbers here. I don't know enough about why precisely Italy, for example, has just completely shut down. Um, yeah, I was going to mention Syria because I'm a soccer guy, but we can talk about that. You know, the, the, well, the Nippon Baseball League in Japan they've they they were supposed to start opening day on March the 20th. They have delayed. Yeah, and, it, and that's a, what Italy did is they just delayed. They didn't shut it down. They just delayed. Yeah, it's you know an, an indefinite delay. One of Campbell's friends uh, goes to the University of Washington as a freshman there from Oxford, and uh, you know she's home, and they told her just check back in three weeks. We were talking about Vanderbilt today. Vanderbilt has shut down. The Williamson County schools in Nashville have shut down. Um, you know, a lot of these schools, it's convenient right now. They can just shut down and go, Hey, well, next week was going to be spring break anyway. We'll just have yeah, a long, so we'll, we'll just have an extended spring break. Yeah, we'll just have an extended spring break. But what that, that's to me, that's why I think in this, we're going to be talking about this again next week. And if the tone of our conversation next week is similar to the way it is today, or the tone of our conversation next week is escalated even further than what it is today, I, I fear what it means I, from a, from a, an economic standpoint, from a, a volatility standpoint, from from long term harm being done, and I'm I'm not trying to minimize the the virus or or its or its impact, and perhaps I am underestimating. I know it's it's highly contagious. Uh, right now, they think the death rate is at its max, three point four percent, which is far more uh, fatal than the flu. Frankly, the comparisons to the regular flu are uh, are ridiculous. This is a completely different uh, thing than the flu. But if I'm the czar of it, I'm. This is where I, I think uh, to, to Martin's point a minute ago. It, Trump does deserve some blame here. There is it, it, from the from point one in this thing. No one on any side of this, and, and that's what's unfortunate is it's become adversarial. No one on either side of this, whether it's in the media or whether it's in the White House, has come out with a, okay, this is what we're looking at. This is what this is. It's significant. It's real. But here's, instead, it's it's maybe it's because we're in an election year and it feels like we're just, you know, we, we just got through a Super Tuesday and, and, and what was essentially a coup by the Democrats to, to run someone who they yep. think can beat Trump. I mean, we're in a very highly politicized uh, time right now. And, uh, and, 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 a, and we have a president who probably has benefited more from social media than maybe anyone in the history of, of the world. I think right. that, I, it's fair to put him there. He, he uses it. He uses Twitter as a uh, as 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 a weapon. Frankly, I was about to say a weapon too, um, man. You took the words right out of my mouth. And he is he is often able to attack an enemy. And in this case, he has treated the coronavirus as an enemy. But it's very difficult to attack a virus on social media and make it go away the way that you can a political adversary. So we've just yeah. created this this it doesn't care. Yeah, well, it, it, it it's not a. And it's, yeah, it's not, not a person. Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, it, person. it doesn't have family. Has no feelings. Yes. Yeah. So we just we've created this fervor, and I, I I I think there's a lot of blame to go around, and I keep waiting. This is kind of sort of taking it full circle to where we started. I keep waiting for someone to be the the hand raised guy in the room, for lack of a better term, that says, "Hey guys, before we just blow the damn thing up, you know, let because." Come come November, somebody's getting elected president, and and the world keeps going. And so let's 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 calm the rhetoric down. 
I, I fear these just massive shutdowns. When the spring break's over, do you bring the kids back to the University of Washington or do you shut the University of Washington down? I saw Ole Miss made an announcement yet. Not yet. Because they're on spring break, right? They're on spring break. Uh, I can take Arkansas's not on spring break. My daughter Campbell's a freshman at the University of Arkansas, and and she said that yesterday in her classes that all the professors were like, hey, look, for right now, everything's just normal. In the event that we have to finish the semester online, this is what it will look like. So very clearly, all of these schools have started to put plans in place. Vanderbilt to shut it down. You know, for for they're going. Everything's online for right now. At what point, you know, at what point do you say, "Hey, we're 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 going to come back"? How long does this last? Do you have do you have intercession? Do you have summer school? Um, what do you do about dorms? Do you have to refund kids money? Because I'm going to tell you, if Campbell gets sent home next week, I'm asking, "Hey, I paid for dorm through the middle of May. I want some of my money back." I mean, how, where right. does this where does this thing go? It just it feels to me, and I'm rambling on. I apologize. It feels to me that we've just lost rationality on this thing, and 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 maybe, and and there's and again, there's a lot of blame for that, Trump included. But at some point, someone's got to get away from the blame game and say, "Hey, let's deep breath, collective thought." All right, where do we go? What do we do? What, so, what 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 do we do if you've been exposed? What 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 do you do with a seventeen year old? For example, you mentioned Caroline; she turned seventeen on Friday. What do we do with a seventeen year old who has been exposed to it, but has no symptoms, feels fine, is perfectly healthy? So we put a gun to your head. It sounds like you think that things are going to get worse in terms of panic mode than they are now. Yes. And, and, and let me put it to both you guys this way. To answer your question, uh, Stacey, I think a week from now, the conversation that we're having is even more somber than the one that we've, we're wrapping up now. Go ahead, ask your question. Yeah, I'm sorry. We'll see. Yeah, scale of 1 to 10. 1, I'm not worried at all. 10, I'm in panic mode. Uh, where do you two guys fall on the scale right now? As it pertains to getting the virus or as it pertains to what's going to happen with our economy? I, we're a financial show, so, so let's put it to the impact on the economy and the financial markets. Uh, I'll go first. Eight. Martin? Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm, probably, I'm probably a four or five. And, and I think that I'm not in panic mode yet, um, you know, about what's going to happen in the broad economy because we still have a little bit of runway left, but it is very dependent upon, you know, it now it does come down to fiscal policy and how, you know, really how our leaders of the country handle the next steps forward, because we are, you know, the largest economy, um, you know, in the world there have been, I know that we will never do or never be able to do what the Chinese did and even probably not be able to do what the Italians have done and, you know, and really kind of quarantine the country to make sure that the contagion doesn't spread, that it is contained, you know, and I'm, I want to see what happens to numbers, to the cases, um, you know, over the next two weeks, do we start seeing a decline in cases? If we start seeing a decline in cases, I think I, I slide down to a three. If we see, you know, an increase in cases, um, you know, and a continue in a large, cause I know it says it's, you know, doubling every two, three days. If we continue to see that, you know, then I do start kind of worrying about, okay, what are the next steps? Um, you know, if some, they start closing down arenas and, and postponing or canceling events, that's not good. No, it's not good for, it's not good for the psychology of the American people. And well, I think that's where the psychology, once, once the, psychology of the American average American is at full blown panic, then the economy is slowing. We are hitting a recession. Um, you know, and, and, and I think that it will take, I think it will take some time to come out of that. I think the, the thing that could really help, um, boost morale is, you know, if something like these two, these two folks from the university of Tennessee, if they have found something that can either, slow stop or eradicate this strand of the coronavirus that needs to be announced even if it is still you know 
weeks or months away from, you know, hitting production, uh, because that would say that, Hey, we found, this is not going to last forever. And we have, you know, we have a solution to this. And I think there's just the lack of communication, the lack, and it all started with the flopped, the botched communication piece. And I'm not trying to beat Trump up. You know, it all started with botched communication from the get go. And then really him kind of shutting down the CDC from talking, um, freely about what's going on, you know, whether it's real or whether it's perceived, it does not look good from a communication standpoint from our administration. And I think this is now more than ever a time when, you know, when we need, when there needs to be some candor and they don't necessarily need to tell us all of the truth. If there's, if it's going to cause pandemonium either, but you know, but they, they have to be honest. They have to, I feel like, I feel like it would help if they were, if they were honest and candid versus, trying to shut people up and shutting things up and sweeping things under a rug because that, that makes my red flags, you know, and my conspiracy theories, you know, go up even more when, when people are trying to be hushed. Before we wrap up guys, I want to, uh, pay a couple of bills here. <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry, uh, man. We, no, no, no. You're, I does I can't even believe we've gone. It has not felt like we have gone full time, man. It, it's, well, it's a fascinating conversation. It's what everyone's talking about. Um, you know, I, I'm headed to Nashville later today. By the time you hear this, I, I anticipate that I'll be there. I'm going to an arena. I'm going to be at the SEC tournament for as long as Ole Miss is there. And, and I mean, there's part of me that I, mean, I catch myself questioning myself as much as I think, hey, you're fine. I catch myself saying, is this, is this prudent? Should I go? You know, and I'm only going because I think the locker rooms will be open post game, and I can go in and talk to some guys that I need to talk to for some storylines that are on that roster, sort of down the roster, if you will. And I wonder, you know, are they going to shut that down? Are they not going to let me do it? I mean, it, it's there's just it's a lot there. It's 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 the topic that everyone's talking about. Some of the immediate pushback against the Ivy League is interesting. Some of the players involved have already gone on social media and pushed back and said, "This is insane. We want to play." Um. It's it's it is absolutely the story as we tape this today, and I think when we tape next week, it's going to be the story again. And when uh, we do tape next week, that podcast like this one will be brought to you in part by the Refrigeration Company, TRC, owned and operated by Jeremy Watler, who's been in the refrigeration field for more than twenty years, including five as a national service manager. At TRC, they understand that great service means being responsive. Their highly trained, responsible, and dedicated staff are available twenty four seven to ensure your complete satisfaction. TRC specializes in ammonia refrigeration, but they work on any other HFC, HCFC, or CO2 systems. They're building winning relationships with customers in baking, cold storage warehouses, ice production facilities, and facilities serving dairy, food, poultry, and catfish processing. They're based in Spanish Fort, Alabama, but they're licensed in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, and South Carolina as well. They can handle all of your company's refrigeration needs, including installation, fabrication, service, compressor rebuilds, ammonia detection calibration, vibration analysis, and more. To learn more, call Jeremy Wattler, 251-348-8533, or email him at jeremy at com. That's jeremy at T-H-E-R-E-F-R-I-G-C-O.com. You can also follow uh, TRC at The Refrigeration Company on Facebook or at their website, therefridgeco.com. And we're brought to you by Elite Dental Care with offices throughout West Tennessee in Germantown, Jackson, and Trenton. Elite Dental Care has five doctors with more than 75 years of combined experience. And with their different areas of expertise, the doctors at Elite Dental Care offer convenience along with the latest in technology. Uh, Elite Dental Care is a family practice, so the entire family can be seen no matter age or severity of problems. They focus on staying up to date on all the latest technology, including intraoral cameras, digital x-rays and impressions, 3D x-rays, and more. There are TVs and radios in every room, giving patients the comforts of home, all while they receive the most modern technological treatment. Elite Dental Care offers both conscious sedation and IV sedation for patients that are anxious or scared, or for those that might not be fearful but just have a lot of work to do and can't afford to take off work for multiple visits. With sedation, Elite Dental Care is able to get much more work done in one visit, which ultimately saves the patient time and money. So if you're looking for a dentist in West Tennessee or the Memphis area, call Dr. Mark Harper, Dr. Clint Buchanan, and Dr. Mike Farah at Elite Dental Care to reach the doctors at Elite Dental Care. Go to EliteDentalCare.com or follow them on Facebook and or Instagram. Anything else, guys, before we wrap it up? 
I'm good. Thanks for having Man, me, guys. Yeah, I mean, I think we could talk for hours and hours about this stuff. But, I was uh, just thinking as they, we as I was reading that ad, I was like, it has to be a weird time to be in the dental business. I mean, just you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, I really was. I was going through my mind. Is is you know, I mean, if you're if you're in that field, you're you're you know, you're the, the odds of you being exposed to it are even higher. Yeah, all our medical professionals. Period. Yeah, I mean, whether you're a dentist or a doctor in a hospital or a you know, nurse in a hospital or, or hospital staff, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, especially as quick as this thing spreads, you know, it's, and I'm sure, I'm sure it's here. I'm sure it's already in all of the places, you know, across the U S that haven't had their first cases reported yet. We just don't know yet. I agree completely guys in a fascinating conversation. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for the, uh, thanks for the time, Stacy. Really appreciate you coming on with Martin and I. Thanks for having me. For uh, Martin Palomo, I'm Neil McCready. That does it for this edition of Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Don't forget it's pintrust.com, P-I-N-N trust.com. Mention to the guys at or ladies at Pinnacle Trust that you heard about uh, Pinnacle Trust on this podcast or the Oxford Exxon podcast, and you'll get 10% off your first year's fees. Until next week, take care. <laughs>